And now, rate that album, season three, with Paul Muadib and Joe Fremming, two guys who know stuff. Hi, and welcome back to Rate That Album, the back and forth uh, podcast album review with myself, Paul Muadib, and my wonderful good friend, Joe Fremming. Joe, how are you doing, sir? Well, Paul, I find it kind of funny. I find it kind of sad. The dreams in which I'm dying are the the best I've ever had. Yeah, you know what? I can totally empathize with that in this dumbest timeline that we live in, Joe. Uh, (laughs) That's right, folks. We are doing Tears for Fears debut album from... 1983 the hurting this was a fan request and as always we're going to start this off and we do fan requests by giving our disclaimer joe you and i are going to show no bias towards this album are we no 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 why would we no (laughs) exactly you asked for our opinion you wanted us to talk about it so there you go um, so you'll be getting our, our real, uh, unadulterated, unfiltered thoughts and appreciate as always having people come up and be like, Hey, I really love to hear you guys talk about this album. So that means the world. Um, Joe, how, how familiar, 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 junior, today, junior, um, how familiar were are you or were you with uh, Tears for Fears, um, the band, and then this album specifically? Well, like, I was born in 81. Like, Tears for Fears were fucking everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they really were. They really um, were. But mostly the songs I know are from the, I believe, the follow-up album, uh, Music from the Big Chair. Music from the Big Chair. Yeah, songs from the Big Chair. Songs from the Big Chair, yeah. So mm-hmm. I was more familiar with that stuff than the songs on here. In fact, there's only one song on here I really knew. And we'll get into it because I, I know it mostly because of the cover. Got it. And I will say I was familiar with this one, with songs from the Big Chair, but also, I was a big fan of the Seeds of Love. I it was I really was, and not a lot of people were. Um, I digged it. Um, so yeah, Tears for Fears for me is like a great band. Like I remember they were on MTV. They were everywhere. You could not get away from um, from uh, Tears um, for Fears. But yeah, I mean, shout Mother's Talk. Everyone wants to rule the world off of songs from the Big Chair, Head Over Heels. I believe those were all singles off of that album. Um, in this album, which is interesting that you were only familiar with the one, and I know which one you're talking about, um, because there were, uh, several singles off of this album. Yeah, but they Um, only tracked in the UK. They weren't really big over here. Exactly. Yes. I'm not a British man, Paul. We've been over this. (laughs) Yes. Um, Mad World Changes and Pale Shelter, uh, Mm -hmm all of which reached the top five in the UK and the top 40 internationally. Um, there was a um, version of Suffer the Children, um, really big, again, in the UK. There was some of it here, but not as much. But I also think because, again, when this album came out specifically, we were still really young. You and I were like four or five when this album came Paul, out. I was 83? I was two years old. Yeah, well, no, I mean, we were two, but the album reached platinum in 1985. So I'm just saying we were four years old when this hit its platinum peak. Yeah. Yeah, And then I was not aware of a whole lot of things at four years old. (laughs) (laughs) I unfortunately was. But that's a whole different thing for therapy. Hey, Joe, speaking of therapy, did you know that Tears for Fears um, whole kind of thing was built around therapy? Yeah, I was so listening to this album, I realized British people have a lot of hangups about growing up, especially their childhood, like between this and Roger Waters. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> fuck. John Lennon. God, just fucking let it go, people. Tony yeah, Banks being a dick all the time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. world's not your therapist, people. All right. <laughs> So, well, it is for Tears for Fears, you see. Um, This album is considered a loose concept album focusing around child abuse, psychological trauma, and depression. Joys! 
Um, despite the fact that we, with that subject matter, this became a giant album for them. Um, Tears for Fears themselves, their name um, came from um, a psychologist by the, by the name of Arthur Yanoff, who wrote a book in the 70s called The Primal Scream. And his whole philosophy when it came to treating mental illness um, was through repeatedly descending into and feeling and experiencing long repressed childhood pain. He felt that through diving back into that, allowing yourself to feel that pain, having the tears for fears, the song Shout after second album is actually another technique out of that book. Um, that's where they had their whole kind of thing through this. Um, and if people think that sounds, this therapy is familiar, if you know anything about John Lennon, that's what he did post the Beatles breakup was primal scream yep. therapy. Him primal, and, which is yep, like really influenced his first solo album, Plastic Auto Man. Yes, yes, absolutely. So they're not the only ones to have to have done this. Um, the the band, you know, pretty much it was Kurt Smith and uh, Roland. Um, I got I'm gonna butcher his name. Orzabal, Orzabal, Orzabal um, are like the two main front runners in the band. Obviously, um, they're the only the, real uh, members. Like I think. Studio musicians and touring people are make up the music, but I think basically they're it, right? Well, at this point, there was Manny Elias and Ian Stan uh, Stanley that were involved. Oh, the um, famous Ian Stanley, huh? Yeah, yeah, they were involved up until the about 19, uh, like nineteen eighty six. Manny left, and the nineteen eighty seven Ian left. And then for a short period of time, it was actually just Roland doing things in the 90s. And then Kirk came back and it's just been a duo ever since they got their reunion back. I would always um, consider them a duo. I mean, you ever saw the other chuckleheads in the videos and stuff? It's always <laughs> well, these two guys. <laughs> well, by the time, like, like again, by the time we were seeing them in the videos, like Seeds of Love and Shout and things like that. I mean, you did see other members in Shout, but really the ones that stuck out to me, which again is that video seeds of love i remember that video very very vividly and it's only the two of them so there you go um but yeah kurt especially was influenced by arthur and roland not not necessarily going along with just kind of the course but also realized they needed to do that uh he needed to get some kind of therapy as well so to kind of talk about this kurt and roland meet as teenagers and they were in a band called graduate which was a mod revival type of thing um people in want to know, like mod revival listen to the jam is pretty much a mod revival yes the context of what sorry i forget yeah. that yeah it's like street it's it's like a brit pop punk yeah, type it's of like, pop er, pop. like bands in the 70s are trying to do early who kind of mm -hmm. shit so yes exactly um so that's where they got their start as this band graduate um they released a single uh called elvis should play ska which was a tongue-in-cheek reference to elvis costello not elvis presley they split up in 1981 um they became session musicians for the band neon where they met their drummer manny elias neon also featured uh Pete Byrne and Rob Fisher, who went on to do Naked Eyes. Well, they uh, Neon broke up, and here uh, they're back together, Kurt and Roland, and they have Manny. And so Roland starts going, hey, guys, we should really do something with this. He takes over a lot of the uh, writing portions of it. And you can hear it on this album. We'll talk about it. But their big influences that Roland says were Talking Heads, Peter Gabriel, and Brian Eno. Are you shocked? No. No. <laughs> no. Um, and they were really into dun, 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 Gary Newman, Depeche Mode, and OMD. Again, shocker. Um, 
Oh, and Duran Duran. Don't forget, there's a lot of Duran Duran influences on here, too. There's a lot of Duran Duran. Well, what happened was, so after John Lennon became Yanov's patient in 1970, they met knowing this, knowing what you talked about, where, hey, Lennon went and saw this primal therapy guy. They went and met him in the 80s, and... (laughs) <laughs> they were so involved with him, Joe. He they they said he had become quote Hollywood and wanted the band to write a musical for him. And they're like, oh no, <laughs> this is not what we want to do. So they were kind of just again, don't meet your heroes, people. Uh so yeah, that's kind of where they went. They started with the herding, got their international success from that. Really, songs from the big chair was the big one. Um, they were on live. They were in Live Aid, which you and I have covered somewhat, but didn't go too much into. We did, that. We did the best of the two, yes. two greatest performances of Live Aid. One legitimately great, and one. Whew, all right, that, we already talked that, about. That. Yes, that was rough. That was rough. <laughs> so all these things go on, and then they break up after Seeds of Love. Um, it wasn't a great falling out. Um, there was bankruptcy involved. There was, um, perfectionist lifestyles. There was just a kind of a change and they're like, fuck it. And you know how that goes. Well, British people are typically notoriously, um, polite people. So they got back together, um, in like 2000 and now that means since 2020, they're still going and, They just released last year a double live album. Uh, They appeared on um, the public radio um, in BBC, and they have a summer tour that they did this this year. And there's talk about them um, doing another album. So that should be really interesting. So that's kind of the Tears of Fears in a nutshell. But we're going to be focusing on their debut album, the hurting joe what is your overall take on the hurting to start with fantastic songs uh produced to death is my take Mm -hmm. on this these are fantastic songs in which it's gooped over so much 80s drum machine and uh, keyboard bass and all that i mean at one point i just having i was having uh visions of uh Dewey Cox from Walk Hard yelling, I need 50,000 didgeridoos, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, again, these are great songs, but uh, for me, I really struggled with the production of it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's one of those sticking points, like, what we bring up is when albums sound dated, and, like, we give a pretty, I think we give a fair leash with that with a lot of artists. Yeah. This one was hard to get past the 80s sound and 80s production. This sounds very much what everybody was doing at this time in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, this sounds like Duran Duran. It sounds like Flock of Seagulls. It sounds like... But the the frustrating part is the, the lyrics and the songs are so good that yeah. I feel like uh, the production didn't do them any favors. What's really interesting here is the producers were Chris Hughes who is best known, I think, for a lot of people as the drummer for Adam and the Ants. Um, He has done many things. He's worked with um, Robert Plant, Paul McCartney, Peter Gabriel, Wang Chung. (laughs) I mean, you name it, Tori Amos. He's probably Enya, a lot of things. And the other one was Ross Collum, who is known for also working with Adam and the Ants, Wang Chung, but this one I don't think will surprise you. Um, he uh, did um, ah, god damn it, I can see it right in front, of, in front of me. He did Rufus Rainwright, and I think you can kind of hear a little bit of that in the Human League and things like that. Also, Kate Bush. Um, he did a lot of working with Kate Bush. So, it, I think what you had at this time is exactly what you're talking about. I believe this was around the time that for better or worse 
Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins got in a studio together for Peter Gabriel's solo album and came up with the gated drums. And that gated drums became the sound for the 80s. Um, And that is very heavy on this album. Uh, There's a song we'll get to in particular that is actually almost verbatim drum-wise a song from Genesis. Um, so I think we should just jump right into it, don't you think, Joe? Yep. All right. So let's start with the first track, the title track, "The Hurting." Joe, what was your feelings on "The Hurting"? It, it felt like flock of seagulls at first. <laughs> the, just again, it's the production, and honestly, the drumming too, Paul. The drumming, like you said before, very much the Phil Collins. But a lot of times the drumming also is not fitting the tone of the lyrics. So like sure. you kind of have like these dour lyrics, but you have this like, doom, tsh, doom, doom, tsh, you know, like this really upbeat drum beat. And I, I was very confused, very, very confused. I mean, again, if you strip all the, all this goop off, the hurting is a fantastic song. Unfortunately, we song. don't have a stripped down version of this. So this is what we got. I know I struggle. We both have talked about this. We struggle with that 80s sound, right? Like, again, when you listen to Cindy Lauper, you were like, oh, no. And then you were like, wait a minute. I didn't know there was 80s out bands out there, early 80s bands out there that sounded good. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have that that thing. I do feel like this falls into it. I, I, it's a weird equation for me, but I equate it almost to Oingo Boingo for me with this album, that there's these weird off the wall, quirky things the band does yet. I am here for it. I feel like it works really well. I think any, I think if the lyrics themselves were not as strong, I wouldn't be feeling that way. But when I hear like what they're doing and I get kind of this vibe of, it's playful, it's whimsical, yet it's dark and it's punching you. I feel like that's so intelligent. And it lulled a lot of people in. I mean, you get lyrics, you know, that are like, um, is a horrific dream dream? Am I sinking fast? Could a person be so mean as to laugh and laugh on my own? Could you ease my load? Could you see my pain? Could you please explain the hurting? Um Get in line with the things you know. Feel the pain, feel the sorrow. Touch the hurt and don't let go. Learn to cry like a baby. Then the hurting won't come back. This is some really cerebral, deep, dark shit. And yet you got this. And it's that juxtaposition. I I, I, I dig it. I really do. Absolutely. I, I think it's. I think it's just fucking terrible like i like the juxtaposition when it's done by uh, they might be giants and other bands because there's like a sense of humor with those sure. people where like they're kind of in on this thing like violent femmes does the same thing here these guys are not very these are kind of two humorless guys putting the quirks in which really just again it's, just, <laughs> it's so distracting to me and I, I again i'm hearing better songs buried under the goop and synth and all that and that it so this whole thing is just frustrating to me because i don't and again and uh well i hate oingo boingo i fucking and there you go oingo boingo yeah. so this yeah. is not helping me in no, any way shape and, or form and, and i and i and i will say there is definitely again when you listen to how serious they're being and you listen to the arrangement, I think to me it adds to the situation as well. Like I'm listening to it as a whole and I, I, there's just something I, I, I've listened to this album over and over throughout the years, actually. And so I, I was really glad when a fan was like, I'm like, yeah, of course I'll do it because this is going to be an easy review. <laughs> like, but we will get to where I feel like it falls apart because at some point it does and we will get there. Um, I mean, this is like, imagine listening to the wall, but instead of like Pink Floyd, you had nothing but the the music of Tears from a Clown by Smokey Robinson. Like, (laughs) yeah, I mean, just uh, (laughs) it's like, not for me, Paul, not for me. (laughs) I I, I get it. I get it. So you thought you. (laughs) Might like to go to a show. Yeah, no, I get it. (laughs) 
I get it. I get it. It's, it's, I, I, no, it, it's like, you know, taking a really dense college thesis level, um, psychology and dumping it into a, um, uh, into a porch radio song. I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, next, uh, we get mad world. Joe, I know you got a lot to say about this. Just take it away. Yeah. It's, uh, the cover that's in the Donnie Darko soundtrack by Gary Jules, uh, is a lot better. Uh, it fits the tone of the, the lyrics, and here, like we're a kazoo away from circus music. It's just it doesn't do. They're it's like they're making a pop song when they should have made this like a ballad, which I don't understand why they did it. So like, yeah, it does not work for me. This arrangement, like, I'll listen to the cover any day of the week over this. It's weird to me, and I will say that I do feel Gary Jewell's cover is quite fantastic it really is a great way to take the song and i feel like i think tears for fears really missed their calling i think when they did this song live for a few years they they did that arrangement of it yes they did absolutely you you and i you showed me earlier the duet with kurt and his daughter doing Mm -hmm. that arrangement on guitar and it's beautiful it it's such it's so good it's so fucking good um yeah it's a great song I again feel, like underneath all the goop are these fantastic songs that i love and it's just it's a struggle for me to try to block out the the indulgence of like turning every fucking knob in the studio all the way up to 11 <laughs> so i i will say though i tend to again lean towards versions of songs that i heard the first version right and i did hear the mad world this version before the gary jewels now gary jewels took this song and took that song and made it something that was fantastic it really is a good cover um i i i think it i think it charted better even than than this version Mm -hmm. so a lot of people would go on that route and i can't I think most people know the Gary Jewels, especially in the States. I had to, I would say, especially because Donnie Darko was such a cult classic. Like Absolutely. Everybody like our age, like at some point owned it on that DVD. I think it's just, I, I'm, I have a feeling a lot of people our age are probably more familiar with that version than the original. I would completely agree with you on that. I would completely agree with you on that, that I feel that absolutely in the state side here, um, I think more people are familiar with the Gary Jewels. Um, I, I will say there is something, again, I, I do like that juxtaposition, but as I was going to say is I feel like Tears for Fears really missed their calling as I would have, I think they would have been really successful as writing for writing music for other bands. Mm-hmm. I think that was like their calling. That's really what they should have done and should really start doing is taking these songs and writing it for other bands. I think that that would be amazing. I'm sure they have a vault somewhere of a bunch of songs, start selling them. Um, but you got wonderful lyrics though. You know, I mean, most people know the, the, the Gary version, the Gary Jules version all around me are familiar faces, worn out places, worn out faces, bright and early for the daily races going nowhere, going nowhere. And their tears are filling up their glasses. No expression, no expression. Hide my head. I want to drown my sorrow. No tomorrow. And then you get, you know, and the the chorus in this is so different. Like, if you guys have not heard this version but are familiar with Gary, go and listen to it. It's yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's 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 jarring. See, I, I heard, I I'm pretty sure I heard the Gary Jewels version first, mm-hmm. and so I was used to that. And then the first time I heard this version, because I went, I probably I think I heard the Gary Jewels, and then I went and listened to the this version, and I started laughing at the production of this like why would they do that you know what i mean <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i mean i find it kind of funny i find it kind of and it's it's totally different but in this it's still for me like i i can hear the gary jules version and i i think i i again i understand what they were trying to do but i realized that this is not a lot of people's 
thing. Like I totally get where a lot of people look at this and say exactly what you're saying. Um, so I'm not disputing that at all. Um, but yeah, I would say if you haven't heard that version, this version of it, check it out. Uh, next up we got pale shelter. Um, I was listening to like the deluxe version. Um, and it was pale shelter second version. Yeah. Uh, that's what I had too. Yeah. Um, what did you think of this one, Joe? It was all right. Again, it's, I'm loving the lyrics and I love the melodies and I love like, they have like these really interesting, like little guitar riffs or like riffs. I don't even know if it's on guitar, but maybe on keyboard that again, if they would allowed the songs to breathe and maybe like knock out like 75% of the instrumentation going on, uh, mm-hmm. it would have allowed these songs to like soar a little bit better. So again, it's it's another frustrating <laughs> moment for old Joe listening to this one too. Yeah, I will say this song I think specifically really shows the early of what was going to become yeah. songs from the big chair. Yeah, this song, and I would say this, and later on with "Watch Me Bleed." Yes, yes. Like, here's the thing: when you go to like songs of the big chair, a lot of the impulses production-wise on this album are reeled back. So I think mm-hmm. they knew mm-hmm. a bit they they yeah. went a little, maybe too far on this one. <laughs> I, I think they, they people like me are mistakes. like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think they got, I think, cause you can kind of hear some of the pop sensibilities, but mm-hmm. you could tell they're doing some of these odd things with it, but there's definitely pop yeah. sensibility here. And when you get pop to the abilities, the, there's like these little riffs throughout yes. these songs that are just like so catchy, but then they get buried in the mix. Mm-hmm. I would going to completely agree with you on that one. Absolutely. Um, again, the lyrics are so good. How can I be sure when your intrusions, my illusion, how can I be sure when all the time you change your mind, I ask for more and more. How can I be sure? And when you don't give me love, you give me pale shelter. When you don't give me love, you give me cold hands. I mean, there is so much going on here. Um, and I love actually like, this is the, I, I always, I always feel like, it's going to be a good album for me. And this is just anecdotal, like just coincidental. Um, there's no real data behind it. But when I like the third track on an album, if that's a solid song to me, I'm typically going to like the album as a whole. Um, the guitar and everything, I feel like really adds to what's going on um, yeah. to it. I wish yeah. it would have stuck more with uh, And again, this is just my, my opinion, but I wish mm-hmm. they would have stuck more with just spare it down a bit you know like there's such interesting instrumentation going on then then it just gets overblown with like synth and keyboard and like i would synth version of slap bass for some reason like i'm just like what the fuck is going on (laughs) i would say there's a lot of over ambition on this album and it's kind of funny when you realize just how serious they were taking themselves throughout it and just how silly some of it ended up becoming um but god you know so next you get ideas as opiates <laughs> which is also a thing right out of um arthur yanoff's um therapy right uh, lie, paul the smugness in this track alone as soon as the vocals kicked in i laughed out loud so hard i started crying <laughs> okay I just, i'm just picturing the guy in the studio with his little sweater and he's not touching the microphone. He's got his hands balled up in little fists, and he's getting all emotional about it. And I'm just like, fucking, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, I, 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 I gotta me, say. So, so <laughs> I'm just I, like, fuck off, man. I, I gotta say, I don't think you're wrong about that being exactly what happened his, in this His all coiffed, you know. He's all like, this song's important. <laughs> <laughs> now what's this is the song kurt this is the song that i feel is a direct not a i wouldn't say a, a ripoff but it definitely is very inspired by genesis's um uh song off of uh, the duke um it's a song called um uh, let me just it's called vocal uh, what is it um, guide vocal it's a short one minute song, but the the exact drum that you're hearing that boop, 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 
boop, boop, boop. That is the drum that is used in that song. It's almost the exact same beat um, that it's being used as. This is one that is completely inspired by Genesis. And if you're familiar with the song, it, it feels more like an imitation than it does a homage. Um, yeah, say what you want, say what you want, say what you will, say what you want. Cause I think you, cause I find you think what makes it easier and I find you think what makes it easier. Um, there's, you know, lies on spread on lies. We don't care. Belief is our relief. We don't care. Um, this suffers to me from like my biggest pet peeve, Joe, which you know, is the same lyrics over and over. Surprised <laughs> they didn't upset you with Mad World. Um, Mad World. We get it, man. It's a mad world. Mad I world. Mean, Why you keep saying it? It, it is, but I mean, there's it, there's a lot that's being said um, there. Whereas, like, yeah, this is this is just the same thing being said over and over, and it's a very sparsely arranged song. Um, and so, hilariously sung, like it's like just break. And then, like on repeated listenings, Paul, like as soon as. You know that anticipation when you know something's funny going to happen in a movie <laughs> that you enjoy and you just can't hold it in because you know it's coming? Like on repeated listenings, as soon as <laughs> this started, like I'm just laughing. Like, the tears are coming back again, just picturing this guy in the studio. Like, it's an important song. It's uh, important to say. So, <laughs> all right, Joe. Moving on, getting into controversial territory here because it's what we do on this show memories fade joe what'd you think of this one it was good uh again i have to dig through the goop to hear the song you i wasn't paying attention to the lyrics because i was so distracted by the service <laughs> music well interesting because you're a big fan of heartbreak uh 808s and heartbreak right kanye yeah i didn't like that album though okay his song Coldest Winter samples the lyrics and production of this song. Kanye used this song on that uh, for Coldest Winter. Well, probably uh, bought them each nice lake homes, Paul. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure 808 and Heartbreak probably sold more than this album. So well, the, me, the, the platinum. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so. We could do a comparison later. I'll, I'll, I'll get you that information next podcast. Um, I, I, I do, I do like this one. I, again, I can see I have my issues. We all have our issues. Kanye or ye as he wants to be called right now. I don't give a shit what he wants to be called. I don't give a fuck. He's either. Kanye West. He's King <laughs> chucklehead of the idiots. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. You and I are in agreement about our, our disdain for Kanye as a person, as a sampler, as a producer. He's very talented. Genius, um, geniuses can also be pieces of shit people. 100%. Music is filled with pieces of shit geniuses. Look at Phil Spector, John Lennon, David Bowie, Lou Reed. <laughs> he every band you've Gary ever liked Glitter. probably has a piece of shit genius behind it. Uh, hundred, hundred percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so I could see, I actually totally get like this being one of like how Kanye can get weird with his samples and things like that. I'm totally not surprised that he used this. I mean, the lyrics are also very, very strong on this album, uh, on this song, excuse me. There's all, there's only need. I love your need. I'm so much. I'm losing me. I cannot see the reason for the pain with hungry joy. I'll be your toy. Just hoping you will play without the hope. My body starts to fail. Memory fades, but the scars still linger. Goodbye, my friend, while I love forever. Uh, I cannot grow. I cannot move. I cannot feel my age. There's just, again, there's such a, a maturity to the lyrics that have just this, their arrangement and their music hasn't caught up to. <laughs> like, like, God, if you just written some of this stuff for other people and honed yourself a little bit more, I think this would have been, uh, I think this would have been better received over here in the States. Or, or strip it down a bit. Yeah, there you, you know, go. Again, just strip the music, I, you know, because I think they're both, you know, 
solid musicians and solid singers. It's just mm -hmm. the indulgence of the studio. And that's a problem with a lot of bands in the eighties. They all, they all became navel gazers and overthought everything. And that's why a lot of, a lot of music just became just kind of, kind of stupid in the late seventies into the eighties, because people are just way overthinking and spending way too much time in the studio. Uh, case in point, Steely Dan. <laughs> I like Steely Dan. But I yeah. like Steely Dan, but like, you know, when they are spending like a month on like, a guitar track it gets a little excessive you know and i and i think a lot of that indulgence with the 80s was the fact that there was all this new technology and the fact that they were moving from tape to digital where it became cheap to be able to do that where before you kind of had to go with what the tape let you do like there was a there was a cost expenditure there and i think a lot of people they realized holy shit i can we can just re-record forever and it doesn't cost us a goddamn thing I think you saw a lot of people start to move towards that uh, perfectionist overdubbing, over correcting thing that kind of took over the 80s there. And really, it wasn't until, you know, like the rebirth of punk and things like that, where people wanted to hear those mistakes. They wanted to hear the glips and the garbles and the more realness in the music. There is that period there, especially from about 82, 83 to about 88, 89, that a majority of artists fall into that is just overly yeah. done in that manner just, the production is so slick and sheen and i i mean obviously there was going to be a backlash to that and grunge was one of those and i think lo-fi sampling hip-hop was another reaction to a lot of that too mm -hmm. yeah get back to real you know it's mm -hmm. like it's like what jay-z said you know you're t-painting too much um so <laughs> uh so suffer the children joe oh my oh, god. god this is another paul I'm starting to realize the songs that Roll, Roland sang on made me laugh. Like, <laughs> unintentionally, because I feel like, again, he, was, he went back in the studio with this coiffed little mullet and he, his little sweater vest, and he balled his fists up, and he's like, I'm going to sing an important song. Uh, and then it ended up with me laughing. <laughs> just like this, this, and ideas as opiates. I mean, I'm just like unintentionally just hilarious to me. It's such a heavy song, though, dude. It really it's heavy. is. You know, again, strip it down, maybe get a different vocalist. It would be a lot better for me. Because, again, the lyrics are really strong, really tight. It just... I don't know why they're going off in these weird, like, synth-pop directions where it's just like, let's put everything in the, <laughs> in the kitchen sink into this production and really well, takes from the songs. If you look at what was going on at the time in 83, especially in the UK, this was kind of a thing. And I think that's why this fits so well. And I think part of what Stratus, you know, pushed them along to have those, you know, three successful albums afterwards, because each one of their albums was very successful, mm -hmm. um, was the fact that it was the lyrical content. Uh, UK's is very different than the States. Like, you, you know, and I, I'm, I'm going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole in terms of you've seen the documentary in the shadows of Motown where no one in the States knew, uh, who was the session musicians for a lot of the Motown stuff for Marvin Gaye and all that stuff. But when they went over to the UK, there were signs with their names on it and things like that. They've always been a little bit more keen into the meanings and that type of thing of the music. So I think they kind of gravitated as I have. Um, and I think you as well to the lyrical side of it and went, wow, there's something here. And then when they came out with songs from the big chair, it was like, Hey, that's what we want. Um, mm -hmm. you guys are giving us what we want now. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that's what it is. And I, I just think they were falling into that early eighties UK sound again, Adam and the ant man, go back and listen to that and listen to this. And you'll hear a lot of the, almost this very similar sound, um, arrangement production issues. Yep. Uh, uh, same with Duran Duran and yep. uh, flock of seagulls. And the difference here being, and I'll stress this tears and fears had stronger songs than either of those bands that I've mentioned. Yes. Unfortunately, for in my thing, my critique of this is they unfortunately went with that sound, which mm -hmm. really did not fit. Like again, the, the 
they I think they figured it out a little better when it came to songs from the big chair as mm-hmm. opposed to this. This I felt like they were taking serious songs, and I don't know if it, maybe it was the label pushing it that they needed singles and hits because in most oh, yeah. of the eighties that might have uh, hampered the production of like and arrangements of these songs. I'm just spitballing here, but that's how I would probably that would be my guess. I would completely agree with you. I think there was. I think absolutely. I mean, I think the studio wanted them uh, to absolutely go for hits and singles again in that time in the eighties. Um, they were still kind of that, you know, uh, that mini little war between the UK and the U S um, you know, about the different sounds and what was coming out, you know, almost like what we saw with uh, the Beatles and the, who, you know, the British invasion type of thing. I think there's some of that going on, um, you know, phonogram records um, in, in 1981, um, you know, they were having, um, they were kind of a, a big thing. And then uh, they kind of run into their own issues with Philip Records. Anyways, the point is, is I mean, this is the label that Zappa was on. This is a label that a couple, you know, other big things are on. So, yeah, they needed those singles. Um, so, absolutely. I think you nailed it with that, Joe. And a lot of these songs... When you look at the lyrics of this, these should not be singles. You know what I mean? No, and I again, I, I for me, it would have resonated better if the, the songs themselves are allowed to breathe. They're just being suffocated by production. Yep, by that, by that. Get it yep. out, nineteen eighty three. Yep. Get in a club and get it going. Yep. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Exactly. It's so you know, that's my two cents. I. Do not disagree with your two cents at all, sir. The lyrics are very heavy on this one. Like, this is rough. These songs are so fucking strong, Paul. Again, they are. That's what makes it so frustrating for me. I I gravitate towards songs from the big chair because, again, that's all that shit I'm complaining about is reined in quite a bit. Yeah, no, these songs are, they they are actually really good songs. I mean, it's a satisfair. When there's no one there, he calls out in the night, and it's so unfair. At least it seems that way when you gave him uh, his life. And then you get to the chorus, and all this time it's been getting you down. You ought to pick him up when there's no one around and convince him, oh, just talk to him. Because he knows in his heart you won't come home soon. He's an only child in his room, and he's dependent on you, and he's dependent on you. Jesus Christ, Roland, I just want to hug you. What happened to you as a child? Are you okay? (laughs) You had a rough childhood, didn't you, Roland? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. It's, It's tough. It's tough. Um, next, Joe, watch me bleed. This is one you enjoyed. Yeah, this is my favorite song because I think <laughs> it's the, great for out. me great the song. production's reined in a bit. Mm. It's reined in and it's allowed to breathe a bit more than the other songs. It does not include a random saxophone solo. Like I believe that was Ideas as Opiates had. Like, like, Ideas is like, such a bizarre the, song. What the fuck is going on? Yeah, it's such a bizarre song. But this was my favorite song. Yeah, I felt it's, it was just like it was. I, this is kind of like where I saw like, okay, they kind of have an idea where they're going next. I I have a feeling that this song and pale shelter were like some of the later songs that they recorded for the album. Um, you know, I, I feel like that this, cause again, those two equate more so to what who's getting songs in the big chair. So yeah, great lyrics here as well. Heaven comes to um, he who waits, but I know I'm getting nowhere, and all the deeds of yesterday have really helped pave my way. Though there's no one near me now, how come everyone can touch me? You see the torture on my brow relates to neither here nor now. Watch me bleed, bleed forever. Um, you know, my uh, although my face is straight, my face is straight. It lies. My body feels the pain and cries like Jesus Christ. Like again. I get why the goth kids were all about this shit, man. It's fucking torturous, and I'm here for it. And we get back, you know, again, when we're denied the hurting, we're getting back to the name of the album. Again, it's kind of this... I I get the concept album of what they're going through. It feels like it's um, like a like a birth to death type of situation. Like this is all the different forms of trauma in the the order it came um, type of thing. So, yeah. Um, next we get change 
This was another big hit in the UK. Joe, what'd you think of it? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew I knew with this one. I knew it. <laughs> Great lyrics, but fuck man, that production. <laughs> Just uh whew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this where you all uh, used to concede the production wasn't went a little too this, far, Paul? This is where I went, you know, maybe this shouldn't have had all these tracks on the album. Um, this is about maybe like, all the instruments on this album, Paul. <laughs> I, I think they were trying to go for like a weird Phil Spector wall of sound. Um, and I, I, I don't know which producer it was that was like, I'm going to be the next Phil Spector, but not shoot my wife. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot going on on this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is where I went, oh, boy. And this was the fourth single. Um, so it resonated with people. I get it. I mean, I do. In, I do like it again. But I'm with you on this one. Like, there's a good song in here. This should have been handled a little bit differently. But again, I'm here for the quirks and the and the and the seriousness with the with the juxtaposition of how the music. I don't even think that quirks and juxtapositions was intentional, Paul. I think that was a production. <laughs> I, I do think it was. A you know what I mean? Like they might be giants. That's intentional. Yeah. This was like the producers, like, no, nah, no, nah, man, we need hits. <laughs> Let's do another line. Let's do another line. I mean, you think about your dark childhood, and I'll make it sound like Christmas. Yeah, (laughs) this is like proof positive. There was too much cocaine in the eighties. Too much. Uh, yeah, but again, and it's followed by Exhibit B of too much cocaine. Well, we'll get to Exhibit B real quick here. Uh, yeah, you walk into the room. I just had to laugh. Uh, the face you wore was cool. You were a photograph, but it's all too late. I did not. Um, I did not have the time. I did not have the nerve to ask how you feel. Is this what you deserve? Uh, you know, there is this really good thought process here, but then. You get to where I have issues with everything, Joe, and that is change. You can change, change. You can change over and over and over. My God, please stop hitting me over the head with the same fucking lyrics. Switch it up a little bit. So, uh, yeah, then we get prisoner, Joe. Oh, God, this is what all all the my biggest complaints just kind of get knocked to like a million. This was just bad. This was this was a bad song, Paul. This uh, I mean, it's just like it's just it's like a Zack Snyder movie. It just assaults <laughs> me, assaults all my senses. <laughs> like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> and uh, frankly, uh, I'm just gonna pretend this song never existed. There's only one song <laughs> called "The Prisoner." It was done by Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I kind of get a vibe, Joe, with this one. This was kind of inspired by The Wall. I mean, you look at the lyrics of it. Here behind the wall, I feel so small. Now, this is 83. I don't even think The Wall had come out yet. Oh, The Wall came out in 79. I'm thinking the movie. You're right. Yes, 79. The movie came out in 85. Um, Yes, I'm sorry. Yes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is, and and the way, you know, it's the prisoner and the kind of goofiness of it is. I think they really thought, look, we got this concept album. Let's, again, let's do a bunch of cocaine and make a song that's going to be like the trial and we're going to be awesome. And it does this one. I, I, I enjoy it for what it is. Like I really do. Like I can listen to this song and kind of sit back and be like, Oh, tears for fears. But as like a serious song, like as a critiquer, I got to go. I'm with you on that one. I got to go and from a critic standpoint. Woof. This is a whiffer, boys. <laughs> just stop. Just stop. Yeah, this one should have been left. I mean, as a critic, it should have been left off the album. As a Tears for Fears fan and a fan of this album, I'm like, hee <laughs> It's the musical equivalent of shitting your bed, you know? It just makes everybody feel gross. Yeah. Uh, then you get Start of the Breakdown, which was the original ending for the album. Um What'd you think of this one? I don't remember it, Paul. I was so upset by the prisoner. <laughs> you know, I, I how did I know <laughs> you're going to say that? My senses were so assaulted that I was just like, oh, I guess there's this other song, and it just kind of happened, and then, and then I went and took an angry shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I cannot argue that. I've been there in that position. There have been songs, there have been albums, you and I have talked about that when once after a track has gone on, it's like, nope, I'm out. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a strong, it's honestly a strong ending. Um, and it gets overshadowed by the prisoner. I would not be surprised <laughs> yeah, if a lot of people. <laughs> I, would fact, not. I have no memory of it. Tells you just how bad the prisoner is. <laughs> I, I, I think that. Uh, probably a lot of people back in the day got to the prisoner and stopped the record. Yeah, they took the off. Like, nope. Yep, yep, took the needle off. We're like, I'm okay. That's that's good enough, boys. Um, scratch the ice. Let the telephone ring. Sense of time is a powerful thing, and we love to laugh, love to cry, half alive. We love to go slow when we're dancing in the rain. Dry skin flakes when there's ice in the veins. We love to cry, half alive. Is this the start of the breakdown? Very intelligent lyrics here. Very wonderful imagery of of what a breakdown is, and you know the the questioning of your sanity when the breakdown is happening. Just wonderful s- lyric, and and it's unfortunate that it got put right after Prisoner. Um, so then you got uh, change the new version. I, I don't look. I don't really want to go into all those, Joe. No, um, they're just remixes and longer yeah. versions of the songs with even worse production on them. So I, 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 I mean, Mad World World Remix isn't. Uh, it's just again, yeah, it's just kind of there. I mean, uh, Pale Shelter long version. Actually, it's a seven minute version. I do enjoy that long version. Um, the way you are has a good long version, but um, I just don't. I mean, I tend to like to look at things from like what the album was versus getting into some of those, you know, like we didn't do it with the Miley thing. We didn't do it with a lot of other ones. So I would say, you know, if, if you're a fan of these ones and you're a fan of those songs, by all means, again, Pale Shelter. They're not new songs. We've already heard these songs. They're just remixes or extended mixes or whatever. Yep. They're not really adding any more. In fact, they're probably doing more damage to my opinion of this album than anything. I I get I I do I I like some of I do like some of the I mean Joe I know we're differing in this one I like that weird arrangements that go along with these songs so again a longer version of Pale Shelter works for me and the way you are works for me um, so but I get where it doesn't I get where it does not for other people um, so Joe let's talk about the aftermath here before we get into our things um, how did um, how well did this album um, perform uh, is is did really, really well. Um, as we talked about, it went platinum. Um, and I got to pull back up here because it got deleted. There we go. There's my notes. Um, it also got blown up. It also got blown the fuck up by 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 people. Um, All Music gave it four and a half stars. Uh, Line of Bitfest uh, gave it eight, eight out of ten. Mojo, four out of five. Pop Matters, eight out of ten. Q, four out of five. Record Collector, four out of five. Rolling Stone, three out of two, uh, three out of five. Smash Hits, Uncut, eight out of ten. Like overall, it's very, very favorable. Um, however, there has been Mojo, uh, Dan, um, Alex, uh, uh, fuck him, just Danny of Mojo. You know who you are. I'm not pronouncing your last name. Um, Quote, has there ever been a more thor- thoroughly miserable mainstream pop album than The Hurting? Even when it's up-tempo, it's somber, and it's most musically adventurous. It's a cavernous minimalism of, I- of ideas as opiates, and the gnarly uh, dissonance of The Prisoner is an almost unbearable bereft. But in essence, it was pop. <laughs> um. Yeah, there were people that didn't, um, you know, Trent Reznor, though, um, Smashing Pumpkins and Arcade Fire have all come out and said this album was an influence on them. Um, same with Kanye. Uh, Weekend um, on the song um, Sheltered, Pale uh, Shelter, on his song Secrets from the Starboy album. Uh, so there's been a like the legacy of this album has grown. This is, again, one of those things where you, where your favorite artists, artists love this album. Mm-hmm. And 
we've talked about that where that can be very difficult for you as a fan. <laughs> yeah. See, but, you can hear the influences on this album on others, but they kind of reined it in a bit. Like when I was listening to this, I it remind, reminded me of parts of because there was a before Pretty Hate Machine, Reznor had a demo version of Pretty Hate Machine where it was very synth pop like this. So like I definitely have heard that inf- this influence on him before. So yes uh yes absolutely i'm gonna go with dave frick here for a little bit joe and i'm gonna talk going back to 1983 his july 7th 1983 review of tears for fears uh where he um talks about where basically he sums his thing up with tears for fears may be too concerned with their own petty traumas Wow, Arch David, but it is a testimony to their refined pop instincts that they managed to produce this much pleasure from the pain. Um, yeah, it's this took a lot of people again in the U- U.S. here uh, very strong. They even even considering it to a strong quote disco pulse to the album, um, and an imitation of Joy Division at best. Um, so this was a very mixed review album. It was very polarizing, I think. I think as the years have gone on, it's become very, very favorable. But at the time of its release, you either loved it or hated it. Um, and I think you and I being here looking at this thing, I loved it. Joe? Not, not a huge fan of it, Paul. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So I don't Joe, hate it because, again, I like the songs. It's just... The execution was left a lot to be desired. Absolutely. No, hundred. And again, I'm not, I'm not going to dispute that thing for you. Just for me, I enjoy the quirkiness and the sounds of it. And like, again, listening to these really dark, macabre, traumatic lyrics with this silly, goofy, semi, you know, trying to be serious, but failing our um, arrangement and uh, accompaniment to it. And I, I'm just, I'm there for it. I just, I love it. Um, so let's get to Joe. How would you recommend Tears for Fears, The Hurting? Yeah, you know what? I would because the songs are strong. Uh, I would advise people, though, if, don't, if this is going to be your first time listening to Tears for Fears, do not listen to this album. Go to Song from the Big Chair first and then go back to this because... Uh, the production is at times overwhelmingly obnoxious and you kind of like if, and I can see how that turns people off. So I would just, I would go to that album first and then circle back to this one. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm not going to dispute that. I think, um, I would recommend actually doing that. You know, I personally, Again, we talked about this, how you thought it was crazy that I went back to Pink Floyd's first album and went in order. I bought them in order. And most people wouldn't do that. Well, most people uh, would stop after a while. After Uma Guma, <laughs> would be like, I'm not listening to this fucking shit anymore. No, no, you know, because I knew good stuff was coming. So I just really wanted to experience it. And that's I do that a lot with artists. Like when I know there's something really good out there, I'll go back to their early stuff and start there and work my way to the good stuff. Because I enjoy following that that progression with the band of like, okay, this is what they started like. Okay, now I can hear the evolution. Like I wanted to experience that. Um, with Cheers for Fears, here's the thing: they really only had the you know the three major albums. Yes, there was other things out there, uh, but most of that was just rolling solo work. Uh, and so you can't really call that a true Tears for Fears album. Um, really, it's just three. So you're not really missing anything by starting with the second one, going to the first one, ending with, you know, um, Seeds of Love, which is a great album in and of itself, too. I mean, all three of these beginner albums are really good, but you could tell through the trauma, things like that, they're all dealing with things from the lyrics. And it's no surprise that they broke up. Um you know, you're dealing with a lot of shit and you're throwing all these things. Hi, look at you, looking at you, Pink Floyd, looking at you, Genesis. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, so, yeah, I, I would agree with you. Start with songs from the big chair. Understand where it's going to go and where they where they landed and then go back to 
The Hurting and go to this album. I adore The Hurting. So I will also say, as I've said through this entire thing, of course, I'm going to recommend this album. I love it. I It's just, it's been my thing for many, many years. Um, but I get where this is a struggle for some, but I still recommend it because there are some really strong songs songs in here, um, as you said, Joe. And if you can kind of get through some of that and and understand and kind of where we're coming from with it, which is these songs are good, but the arrangement's weird. <laughs> I didn't say the arrangements are weird. I said the arrangements are bad. Paul. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The arrangements are bad. <laughs> Don't put words in my mouth. Good. I pick my words very specifically. <laughs> Yes, yes, you did. All right, fair enough. Sorry, Joe. Um, so, yes, as he said there, but, you know, The Hurting, Pale Shelter, Memories Fade, Suffer the Children. More more often than not, the songs are good. You know, Ideas for Opiates, that's a weird thing. I like weird, though. I'm a big Zappa guy. The Prisoner, it's weird. I But it's also like just this weird thing that's on this album so i'm like all right let's we're getting you know, when that song comes up i'm like hey, here we go <laughs> so yeah i recommend the album all right joe let's do some plugs what's going on with the joe down buddy oh uh, we still got to do exorcist 2 um, i'm plotting my next movie pick but i'm not sure what it is yet that's so rough oh god yeah. Hmm. yeah 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 exorcist 2 is so bad and which sucks is exorcist 3 is a great movie well the exorcist 3 was written and directed by the guy who did the book so oh it's so good yeah, and- I, I, it's it's one of the few movies later in life that creeped me out um a, a, a horror movie i mean again steven dorf is so goddamn good in oh. everything he does um I absolutely think that Exodus 3 is my favorite of the three movies, actually. I think it's the strongest of all three. I still uh, like the original. I'm an original guy, but three is really good, too. I'm just... Uh, it was apparent nobody wanted to make that movie. And it's just... No. <laughs> and whew, it's rough. It's rough. All right. Well, that's cool. Um, all right, Joe. Well, what are we doing next week? Well, Paul, we've been in a real, real string of uh, white people music. Oh, okay, okay. I As like you this. You know how go. I feel about that. Uh, you know, especially with this, with all the arrhythmic <laughs> white guy, uh, <laughs> British white guy people whining and moaning yeah. about their about their tragedy as of what it's like to be white in the world. Yeah, yeah it's, like, oh. no, it's not even that. It's more like the music where it's just like a arrhythmic, you know, like you know. <laughs> Uh, <sighs> dancing like Lane Lane Bennis from Seinfeld with little kicks and jerking all over. So we're gonna get a we're gonna get a little bit of the funk on Paul. We're going Ooh. back seventies. Okay, we're doing Inner Visions by Stevie Wonder. Oh, oh, I need, I need some fucking rhythm after <laughs> Halloween. Oh, yeah. For Halloween yeah. month, Resident Dolls has just been white people with no rhythm <laughs> oh. for like a month. Yeah, this is I'm I'm in I'm in yep yep I'm in Inner Visions. Yeah, this was a good like this was one of his like last albums before he went to that eighty like to me uh, before he started to kind of get into um kind of that quirky 80s stuff that you just praised (laughs) (laughs) getting the isn't she lovely and all that stuff fuck you yeah but that was still the the late 70s it's still you know but yeah this was this was this was yeah this is good uh uh, this is um a wonderful album um isn't higher ground is higher ground on this one dan marison ripped off higher ground remember yes dan yes dan marison yes okay this yes this is such a good album Oh, this is great, Joe. Yeah, I love me some funk, baby. You know that. Um, all right, cool. I'm excited for this one. Oh, yeah, we did go through a string of just white people Christmas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting real sick of it. Oh. <laughs> Fuck. Fair enough. All right, Joe. Well, uh, anything else you want to bring up um, before we go, sir? I got nothing. I got nothing. So. Well, 
I just want to say thank you to fans. Um, always reach out to me. Um, you know, Joe, Joe, oh, Joe the you, suggested this. One of our can't Canadian Canadian listeners. So absolutely. Oh, awesome. Good day, mate. Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go put another shrimp on the Barbie. You Canadian fuck. Um, so thank you for that. And, um, yeah, it was, um, um, so again, you're going to get our, our realistic, you know, take on it. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, there's, there's no sugar coating it there. There are some bad things on this album. Um, but <clears throat> you know, so I, anytime you guys want to come at me with, with recommendations, things you want to do, go ahead. Um, I want to thank everyone, um, out there listening. Um, Joe, our Halloween album, like blew up that, that morning. It looks like a lot of people are ready for the Halloween spectacular. So thank you everyone for listening to that. Um, you guys can reach us on SoundCloud. You guys can, uh, reach me on Facebook. It's Paul Muadib. Um, just look for the, uh, look for the guy. You'll, you'll, you'll know, you'll know it's me. Um, just, and, um, or, you know, you guys can, uh, can email us, you know, wh- whatever you want to do there. So, um, I believe our current email is the, is actually our old one, which is a uh, twin peaks, um, talking twin peaks at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, shoot us your things there. Otherwise leave a comment on Facebook, find us on Facebook, the pod down, find our page, um, the Joe down. <laughs> You can message us right through the Joe down. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, you know, we've seen a lot of traffic going to the Joe down as well. So Joe, this has just been, it's been great, man. It's been really, really fun. Um, uh, um, I'm excited, uh, for Stevie wonder. All right, Joe. Well, if that's all there is to it. Do you want to take us out? No, this has been rate that album awesome. with Paul Muadib and Joe Fremming. Thank you for listening.